We're going to go to Psalm 42. We're going to look at a couple of verses. It says in Psalm 134, it says, Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. May the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, bless you from Zion. You know, you may notice there's something that's a strange time to worship in the night. Ministering by night sometimes is during the depth of our sorrows. In difficult times, it's a difficult thing to do that. Yet there's a blessing there. It's a test of faith. It indicates your depth of commitment. And it says, why are you in despair? Verse 5, why are you in despair? David said, oh, my soul. And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. And then he said, oh, my soul. God, oh, my God, my soul is in despair within me. Then verse 11, he says, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And then we go to chapter 43, verse 5. And he said, Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And I think about this. People are singing things like, Tis the season to be jolly. Then why is it so doggone challenging? It doesn't seem to either be the season to be jolly or it doesn't necessarily feel like the best time of the year. And I think the reason for it is, I mean, sometimes it accentuates during these anniversary moments. We remember people we love that are gone. We remember maybe times past that were easier, more trouble-free. And we get in actually in moments that get disrupted. And the season that's intended to be the celebration of the birth of Jesus becomes Financial pressure, credit cards, Christmas cards, what to cook, cleaning. The job for everybody kind of increases. Pressure comes in. The kids get off school and they're all, you know, at home from school. <laughs> Stuff like that. But I think in this series I've been touching on on Friday nights about overcoming anxiety and overcoming depression and those kinds of things, it's kind of like the get rid of excess baggage series is what this is, where we're shaking off the heaviness as practically as we can. And I think the first way we do it is just like David, where he says, you know, why am I in despair? Why, why am I dealing with this? The first thing he does is the first step to victory, and that is the admission of a problem. We are not people in denial. Church is not never, never land where Peter Pan just never grows up never faces responsibility or trial. We are those that minister by night in the house of the Lord. We are those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And let the world ridicule and misunderstand. The Bible says, don't be surprised if the world hates you. There's not a clear understanding or comprehension when the lights go on for a person. And people that are outside the covenant of God, they don't fully understand how rewired we got. They don't realize that he came to set us free and make us new creatures. And no, we're not in some sort of fundamentalist religiosity. We're into the family of God, in fellowship with God. The lights went on, and we have hope. Hope. In fact, let's go over to this verse. I want you to look at this, because it is the anchor verse. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. Anchors hold you in place while the wind and the waves beat you. 
And it says in Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now this verse is an amazing verse. We don't have time to teach on Melchizedek, but we do have time to look at the first few words. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. This is what David was saying. Why in despair, O my soul? Why so downcast within me? Put, and he's already given himself counsel. He's taken a bit of his own advice. Put your hope in God, which says something pretty powerful, that God is trustworthy, that God can do all things. Here are some abiding hopes. We have this hope as the anchor for our soul. In 1 John 3, it says that if we set our hope on him, it purifies us just as he is pure. Hope actually pushes us toward the goal. Hope stimulates us away from sin. Hope gets us out of a tendency or a vulnerability to sin because we're keeping, fixing our hope on the living God. Our expectations are on Him, so therefore they're not unrealistic, they're not idealistic, they're Godistic. And these abiding hopes, number one, here are some hopes I want to throw out to you. Some of these things are obvious, but I'll restate the obvious. There really is a God. In the beginning, God created this whole thing. And I've noticed humanity recently has been trying to edit God out of the picture, but He cannot nor will not go away because He never changes. He is forever. His throne is forever. And you just got to deal with it. And in fact, he that comes to God must believe two things, that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So number one, there really is a God. How many of you have already bought into that? Now, I preach this all the time, but I don't want to make assumptions, because I know in a church like this, there are people on different measures of their journey, and different steps of their journey. And I, in fact, know there's an entry group that comes into this environment, and I've talked to you. And some people have spent weeks, months, and even years analyzing the validity of this message in thoughtful terms. You've worked with it. You've grappled with it. You've considered the field before you bought it. So I know that as I make this assumption, many of you are going, look, I signed on to that when I was a kid. I've resolved in my heart there is a God. I've committed my ways to him. So let's move on to point two. Okay, I will. But first, there might be a couple of people in here who have lived in an agnostic or an atheistic life. Or maybe you've been out on some divergent beliefs and you're just trying to get the confusion out and try to get your bearings. I want to tell you that this hope that's the anchor for our soul is firm and secure because God cannot lie. He is faithful. He exists. Jesus said he's even coming back. And he said, and if that were not so, I'd have told you. He is coming back to a body of people that understand that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. There are rewards. It's not a disappointment. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will not be disappointed. People will disappoint you. People will let you down over and over again. We've all been disappointed by people. But God never disappoints. It's unbiblical to assume that he disappoints. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I wish you could just trade with me and you could preach this to me for a little while. Just let it come out of your own lips where it just would affirm in your own heart how great it is to know God. 
that He exists. Number two, He really does love us. He really does love us. I took my Bible promise book and I underlined carefully all these love verses about how God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And Behold how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we, we should be called the children of God. And John chapter 17, you love them like you love me. And I mean, there's just such an amazing abundance of very specific scriptures that tell us that God is love, 1 John chapter 4, and that He loves us. He loved the world so dearly He gave His only begotten Son. Love means He values, He's placed value on the objects of His affection. You are objects of His affection. So much so that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe that He exists and believe in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Not only in the sweet by and by, but the psalmist said, I would have despaired unless I had believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that's where this flavor of theology that has been downloaded into our lives about victory, about being more than a conqueror, about the authority of the believer, about the power of prayer, about the power of the blood, about the power of the name, power of agreement, the power of the spoken word, the inhabiting of praise. We understand these dynamic truths and it has enriched us. We've taken us out of just sort of observation and brought us into activation. We are doers of the word. And we take our stand in faith and we trust that God is going to see us through on all situations. I've talked to some of you and you've invited me into your world. And I listen from an objective position outside looking in and I see the troubles or the trials or the difficulties. And I see people ministering by night in the house of the Lord, singing a song of praise in the darkest hours watching light excel darkness, watching victory overpour into a person's life in the midst of what looks like it's designed to take you out. I've watched God move on you when you battle sickness. I've watched God move on you when you battle despair. I've watched God move on you when you handle rejection and hurt, deep hurt. And I've seen it. I've seen it so much. This is one of the reasons I love to stick around and be around believers because we're all in a stage of process. And Jesus came to fix the hurting. The reason I got saved, I was broken. The reason I'm in ministry, it's because everybody's broken. The reason we're, we got saved is because we were lost and broken. The reason we're staying in this call is because God's anointed you and me, the ministry of reconciliation, and we've got to do everything we can to break out of the self-centered deal and get back into a place where we can be pouring out rivers of living water to hurting people. Constantly trying to think of how we can change our world before we die. We live full and we die empty where we've been a drink offering Paul said I was a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith where you spend your whole life pouring out some of you go I've given and I've given and some of you are getting tempted to get resentful don't some of you felt like you've had a thankless first three quarters of your life don't murmur about it God sees it all God stores up your prayers in bowls. I don't understand that, but apparently in heaven, those things are treasured possessions in God. The prayers of the saints. He apparently showcases them for eternity in bowls. He values you. He loves you. God loved you so much at the right time Jesus came in the world. We need to continue to turn back to this abiding hope. He really does love us. Let's look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. I just quoted it, but I'd like you to see it because it starts out with, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. What's that on you? You got something on you. What is it? It's God's love that He bestowed on you. 
Goodness, what's that behind you? Oh, goodness and mercy. They follow me all the days of my life. What's that before? Oh, my righteousness goes before me, and the glory of the Lord is my rear guard. Oh, okay. What else is following? Oh, those are some signs and wonders, because signs and wonders follow those who believe. We are a peculiar people. We are. But that doesn't mean weird. It means we're bought with a price. We're a purchased possession. We're bought with a price. This Stratocaster, Leo Fender built it in 1954, Back in the 50s, when rock and roll first came, and parents would go and scrape their money together, kids would get their lunch, you know, their paper route money, and they put it all together, and they go buy a guitar. It's 129 or 130 bucks, and the little amp. But now, why is that $100,000 when it was only, it's only about, you know, $150 worth of material? Some metal, some wood, some paint, some wires. Because people are willing to pay that price for it. Well, why did God bestow such a love on us? We look in the Word. When He created the universe, the pinnacle of the creation was the crown and glory of his creation, the Bible says, is that he made us in his image and his likeness for fellowship. That's why there's such a tragedy about the idea that we've just sort of evolved out of protoplasm and we're just nothing more than a happenstance accident. The basis, that initial element of argument is what precipitates the hopelessness and the depravity and the emptiness of existence. So why bother if there's no God? Who cares where the parameters are? But God showed and demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This ought to put some hope back in your heart as an anchor for your soul. Behold, look, it says here, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. You know what that means? God loves us. I hope in this case, some of you get a hold of this where you realize, you know what, that's one of the hardest things for me to embrace. Some of you were put down, verbally abused, you were never... I know a guy who, he laid on his dad's deathbed and said, Dad, I love you, and his dad, in full consciousness, never said, I love you back. He's never been the same. Somewhere along the line, you've got to understand a father's love. I think a lot of damage has been done, but the absentee stuff along this line. I'm glad, I'm, you know, you know my deal with my dad, Clyde. He wasn't even my biological father, but he knew how to express love, especially when he learned it in church. And he started doing those little hugs like that, put his head in there. I miss him so much. But, you know, I'm grateful that he demonstrated some love toward me. But, you know, because I have a little bit of an example. But even if you don't have an example personally, you've got to cultivate an awareness that God, in fact, it says it, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. And here's how he defines it, that we should be called the children of God. The Bible says we were once not a people, are now the people of God. We were alienated and separated, now we're accepted in the beloved. It's one of the cool things about being a Christian. Universally, all over the world. I've run into people where I said, do, you, do I know you? I said, I don't know, you seem familiar. And we didn't know each other, but we are familiar. We're family that we found, are you a Christian? Yeah, are you? I thought so, man. What's up? You know, and just from and other countries and other states. And how many of you have ever had that happen to you? There's just sort of this, they could tell they've been with Jesus. That we should be called the children of God, and for such and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Well, we see that God loves us. Number three, this is a one-two punch. This is an abiding hope. This ought to make you happy. In fact, my daughter said to me today, Dad, I'm sure glad that Jesus forgives sin. And you know, it's interesting. I know she's not in a bunch of sin. I just know she, when she said that, she was just analyzing with gratitude 
that we have a God who forgives sin and who heals disease. Write it down. This is an abiding hope. He bore our sicknesses and he carried our griefs. You talk about why so downcast on my soul. He was a man of sorrows. He was a man of sorrows. Jesus is acquainted with pain. And I don't fully understand why the world is so laden with pain, mourning, and sorrow. I don't know why it says in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It is what it is. I think it's going to make heaven, heaven. Because for eternity, we're going to go, This is better and different. And yet the psalmist said, I would have been in despair unless I believed I see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is all we've got right now. We anticipate eternity. Sure, that's where our citizenship is. That's our ultimate destiny. And comparatively, in terms of time duration, this is less than a bat of an eyelash. Blink your eyes. This is less than that in view of eternity. It's like the steam out of a, you know, we go outside and we just breathe our breath out and you can see the vapor. And then it's gone. The Bible says our life is a vapor. But what we're doing is we're making the most of our vapor. We're taking a hold of the promises, these abiding hopes. We understand that God is, that He loves us, that He forgives sin. He said, I even I am the one who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. God's personally invested in it because He wants a people unto Himself. So He went to the trouble of paying the price Way more worth than a couple of guitars. Way worth more than the birds, which are doing fine. When I drive home, I see raccoons, and I see bucks and does running all over the place. It's like nature park, just right out here. I mean, there are more bucks and does in just over here than all these guys going out to these farms to go hunting. And they're just doing great. They're like wearing sunglasses, and they're eating everybody's shrubs, and they're getting all fat and everything. We are worth much more than they and they're all doing good. Look at 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sin, this is what David said, man, if I don't deal with my sin properly, then anxiety fills my heart. Despair fills my heart. But here's what it says. If we confess our sins, forsake our sins, turn from our sins, what is he faithful to do? He's righteous and faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who has ever worked super hard and long and then you took a shower and you came out with a towel around, a little turban around your head and your towel and your robe and everything and you're coming out and you're all just all smelling great and looking great. How many of you have ever done that in your life? <laughs> Feels good. Feels good to be clean. It's awesome. After the flood of 93, when I was cleaning out the Matthews Market and I went in the walk-in and they had beer cans, I was shoveling them up and they were exploding on me. That was no big deal. Rotted beard, no big deal. Because the hams that were in there for the hundred and plus degrees in the summer. Remember the flood was in the summer. Two weeks after the water subsided, we were allowed to go in there. Mud was no big deal. The putrefaction of the hot beer was no big deal. The humidity was no big deal. But the hams were so bad that the maggots were trying to escape. The maggots were fleeing on all sides. They were running, they came out them one way and they were running seven ways away from them. I had these perfect rubber boots that I finally broke in. It's hard to break in rubber boots. They were lined with felt and they were right up to my knees. And I wore them every week and I lived in them. They were my boots. I wrote Jeff Perry on both sides of them. 
I had my own shovel. It was nice. I had my gear. I had my shorts on. And those hams blew up on me. And then I got inspired. I wanted to go visit all the troops because we had teams all up and down the valley, way up there by Rombox and over there by the airport and down the street at the people's houses. And so I got in the car and I'm driving around I'm thinking, what is that? It was me. And I walked up to people and said, hi. It was the smell of death. It was. The maggots were crawling away and trying to, and they were jumping, hurling to their death off my leg, trying to get off my body. I'm not kidding. I'm not trying to be gross. It's the truth. Just the facts. I took a shower. I went, I realized I revisited my boots. I had to throw my boots away. My boots were shot and they were such nice boots. I'm still grieved over it. But what was really grievous was that stuff got down into my legs for days. Isn't that right, Patsy? <laughs> Nothing in Bible school ever indicated any of this aspect of ministry. The shower afterwards felt so nice. Baths were just a, like taking a trip to Maui. And even though it took about six days to get that out of my legs, I mean, I was scrubbing with uh, strong soap. And it, and it just... But, but man, yeah, oh, after a while, though, it was just so good to get cleaned back up. Yeah. It's good to be cleansed. Yeah. Feels good to take a shower after something like that. It's amazing that what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We enter in by the blood of Jesus through a new and living way. And as we do, our sins get set at the door and we get robes of righteousness. We were once separated, alienated, lost, and by His grace, He forgives us. You know, I've been married for almost 30 years to Patsy, and we've had wonderful times. We've had some hard times, disappointments, misunderstandings. There's been a heavy necessity for a continual flow of forgiveness with any relationship with anybody, no matter what your temperament, at any time and all the time, there needs to be forgiveness and a request for forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness. It just it happens in all of life experiences. There's just, just a humbling that we have to go through. And that's what we do with God. We know He exists. We know He loves us. And we know, according to the Scriptures, He forgives us of sin. Where else could you go? How do people make it? Living bound up in the burden of sin. You talk about an abiding hope. Thank God we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And Psalm 103 says, He forgives all our iniquities and He heals all our diseases. In Hebrew, I've been told that that's a Hebrewism where it's like a rhyme. It has a rhythm. It's almost like a rap. It's like a... Heals your disease and forgives your sin. And you get that in your spirit. You get in the rhythm of that. And not only does he have the capacity, in fact, I wrote this down too, he has the inclination and the capacity of working things together for good. This is point number four. He has already indicated through his earthly ministry, Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. When the guy said, is it your will to heal me? The guy with the leprosy, he reached out, touched him and said, I will be healed. 
Pretty well solves the problem there. God wants to save. He desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And healing is for all. You get that abiding hope. So you, you get out of this, everybody but me, then the Yabbit thing, and how come they're blessed and I'm not. Get out of that thing. That's one of the dangers of testimony time in church is it sometimes eclipses where we're at. If we're in that dark night moment, we're struggling, somebody else has had the breakthrough. What we need to discipline ourselves for, that God is my God, and they, you know, Saturday's come for them, payday's come for them. Well, my time is coming too. He, and we don't get in this thing of, why are they so blessed? How did that happen? What about me? Don't get in that self-pity thing. Self-pity, you have a pity party, nobody wants to come, just you. And you sit there and whine, that's no good. He has the inclination and the capability of working things together for good. Did you know your credibility is mounting through life as you endure trials and struggles? You know, the people that are meaningful to me, I talked to a guy, he said, I've been married 40 years, and I'll be honest, I love my wife with all my heart, but anybody that has been married this long has to, we have to be honest, we've been through our dark times and struggles. As a young couple, I heard that and I latched on that. That doesn't, you know, make us celebrate breakdown and deficiency and struggle. It just, it frames this thing like, hey, wait a minute, man. We know that God's going to cause all things to work together for good. He doesn't cause all things. But he causes all things to work together for good. Some things are the devil. Some things are just unprincipled, mean people. But we know ultimately, I mean, the levee broke. I'm not going to say, oh, thank you, Lord, you broke the levee. No, the levee was a farmer levee, and they didn't reinforce it to suit the times. So it eventually eroded. Plus, somebody let a tree grow on the other side of it, and they didn't go and tend to it properly. And then boring animals like woodchucks and uh, groundhogs were down there having their little burrow deal. And then the water kept eating and eating and eating, and it was called a sand boil. It never went over the levee. It just ate through it because somebody didn't cut the tree. They didn't tend to their little duty. So what happened was we had water here. But God turned it around for good. My theology is that, hey, we're in a floodplain and the river's there and rained a lot upriver and this woodchuck was digging his little hole and his little house with Winnie the Pooh and the honey tree and all that stuff. <laughs> and they're all having a cartoon there and then all of a sudden it all the water shoots through it and then airplanes are floating and people are reaching in the water and their arms are bloating up and stuff and then Ed's throwing up on the porch and I'm having blown up hands. <laughs> God's turned it around and given us a handle on how to step into war-torn Kosovo. And we've been able to reference that and be able to lovingly speak thoughtfully into people's lives that have suffered something different, but yet similar, where we're able from that, we're able to comfort with the comfort with which we're comforted by God. Where we're not just talking out of theory. I'm so grateful for these abiding hopes because, boy, do we need them. Yeah. David didn't say... I'm Superman! He didn't say that. He said, why so downcast on my soul? Now, this is the king who's writing psalms and playing harps and killing lions and hitting Goliath and being told about in every Sunday school class and every church on the planet. And he's going, why so downcast on my soul? Why so disquieted within me? Put your hope in God. And hope, we know, is the anchor for our soul. He's inclined, has the capability of causing all things to work together for good. The stuff that's designed to take you out, you persevere. You get to the other side of it, it becomes your testimony. Yeah. 
what was intended to wipe you out enriches you. You go from brass to gold. Fire burns up wood, hay, and stubble, but it refines precious metal. And he's the smith, and he refines us. All the trouble in life, it burns up all the junk in our lives, and it brings us into a place of refinement. There's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. There's a worldly sorrow that leads to death. So we mourn over the condition of the lost. We mourn over the world. When we are convicted of sin, we have a broken and contrite spirit, as I shared with you last week in Psalm 51. That's what's pleasing to the Lord. But there's a distinguishing thing about that tender, submitted heart to God and brokenness before the Lord and just this chronic, despairing, depression thing. God wants us free from this thing. And He wants us to walk in a submission to Him, aware that He's real, He loves us, He forgives sin, He heals disease, He is inclined and capable of working things together for good. And lastly, but not leastly, God's grace is sufficient now and forever. Let's finish with 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. 2 Corinthians, let's go to it. Chapter 9, verse 8. Everybody say hope. hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. If you just hold out on things, you'll just see God turn things around. That light at the end of the tunnel is not an oncoming train. Everybody say, God is able able. to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all I can ask or think. Hey, can we talk for 30 seconds? Ed got up and sang. You know, he had a terrible sarcosis. What's it called? Sarcoidosis deal in his lungs that knocked him out for months after month. He, He could hardly even talk. At one point, he said that he, was, he realized it was the last Christmas he was going to have with his family. I had not one, not two, but three key people in my life have a dream about him dying young. I got a burden for his grandkids that they should get to know him because he's a cool guy. God healed him. So when he's up here singing, you go, what's that guy up there singing for? This white hair. But he's healed, man. His boy. Hallelujah. Look at this right here. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you always having all sufficiency in everything may have an abundance for every good deed. Now, this is talking in the context of finances. This applies. It's God's willingness to use his power to work on your behalf, even though you don't deserve it. His willingness, his ability. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. What does the devil battle against? Our belief. Hey, there's no God. Or God. Did God really say this? Is there really a God? Come on. Come on. The biographers have just said that Mother Teresa battled a lot of this in her mind. She had a lot of battles with this. She pressed in and overcame it. The devil lies to people's minds about this. God doesn't love you. He loves everybody else, but he picks favorites. It's unscriptural. He's no respecter of persons. When you read about David, see God loving people in the scriptures, you go, that God is my God. God loves you. He loves all of us with an amazing measure of abundance. And he's inclined to it. Boy, I've watched him intervene on things that going into it, it was overwhelming. Just, I remember driving up on a bridge in Patsy 77 Le Mans. Rear wheel drive. Weighed about the amount of a Sherman tank. 
and it was like 70 feet long. And we're driving over this bridge, and uh, we hit ice, and we just started spinning. And cars were backed up everywhere, and it was there was a side rail, and there were cars oncoming, and it's like we just we started forming a real serious, significant prayer for protection. We went. Jesus, 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 Jesus. The car went in a complete. And we stopped, and actually it was just a little bit off in the front, as I remember, because it was like this, and it was just enough for me to see the oncoming guy. He rolls down his window and he goes, That was awesome! That was awesome, yes! We did that a lot. Remember, kids, remember in the car when we drove over, we were leaving Grandma and Grandpa's house, and we drove over the hill, and it was all icy, and there were cars all jackknifed, like 15 cars smashed into each other. So we came up over the hill, whoosh, and we went, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And, and so we slid this time this way, and we stopped, just in time to see a police car fly over the hill and catch air. So then we went, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And he was like, we were just, and it just missed us. And I went like this to my kids. I mean, my adrenaline was shooting. I went, kids, that's why we're serving Jesus. There is a God. He loves us. And he's able to make all grace abound toward us. I hope that the word has brought strength in you. Paul said, I press on. What he's saying there is, this is how I deal with depression and despair. I keep pressing when the enemy's depressing. That is rooted in humanity. It is rooted in our determination. Now, I'm not saying God helps those who help themselves and this self-help actualization will see you through. I'm talking to, I just spent the whole 45, 50 minutes articulating the abiding hopes. He is the hope that's the anchor for our soul. We have a God who cares for us. How else are you going to get somebody get delivered from drugs? How is somebody going to get delivered from a wound from the upbringing of the formative years of your life? Unless God is on top of it, and he is. He works all things together after the counsel of his will. He cares about you. When I heard about this, and I stood, I would be in a meeting and I would think, God, I thank you. You are into repairing broken humanity. We're called to figure out how to take hold of this for ourselves and become contagious with it. Because there are people that are hurting out there, man. Disoriented, freaked out, lost. Uh, you know, even high and lofty and sophisticated and doing great. But in great need of what you have. So you say... I'm getting over it. I'm more than a conqueror.